For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. What's up, everyone? It's Nick, and I am back. I'm sure you've missed me as as you have missed my co-hosts, Ryan and Amanda, as well. We're all back together. This is Half Street High Heat, the official podcast now of Fan Sided and District on Deck, and still presented by Manscaped. So we got a lot going on, a lot of big stuff going on. But speaking of what's going on, what's going on with you guys, Amanda and Ryan? Um, not a lot. Um just you know watched in my team suck a lot this week so <laughs> that's cool we'll get into that but uh like real life wise not too much so picking out carrots i'm gonna plant tomorrow that's my big exciting thing i've got planned it's never a dull moment at my house yeah planting carrots that's you know the <laughs> what do you say the scintillating content that fans yes, come to listen scintillating content that's that's yeah. what i'm doing this evening so there yeah. you go honesty is I mean, the best policy <laughs> hey that kind of content got us uh, signed by fan sided so you know i guess that's true that, that's true if it works if it works brian <laughs> what's up with you you know life's great um i saw this really handsome guy today who's finally back on the podcast after being out last week <laughs> i saw him today and I was a little worried because I thought, in you know, the real life, you saw him. I saw in him the in the real life, you know, because wow. he he's been working hard. You know, he was behind the scenes doing a lot of business stuff, and I was worried about him. But I saw him, and he's doing well, and he is back today. And uh, the Olympics are on, and I enjoy the Olympics, so everything's well. I also yeah. enjoy the Olympics. Yeah, th- my there's kids a lot are obsessed of... with. Sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say there's a lot of rumors about my. Uh... Uh, involvement with this podcast i mean I, I was out for two episodes which had never happened before uh two episodes two episodes in a row and i uh, started a new podcast as well so you know there people were nervous that their favorite nats personality was going to get traded 
after all this time and that the reason they got into being a Nats fan was no longer going to be a part of the Nats, you know, atmosphere. It, it was, yeah. you know, and they were probably wondering what you were doing too. Yeah. And <laughs> that, that was well done. That was well done. <laughs> yeah. So actually take a second, tell us about your new podcast. I'm super curious about it. I was going to save it for my one big thing, but uh, since you asked, uh, I mentioned it last, uh, God, last year it was right, right. Of course, around when COVID started, but uh, it's a movie podcast with my friend Fox. Uh, Ryan knows him too. Another friend from high school. So I'm slowly taking over the uh, podcast industry with friends from high school. But uh, it's just a movie podcast. We're, we're reviewing all of the latest movies and we're both huge film fanatics. And, uh, you know, we're going to, we've been reviewing the uh, big tentpole franchises like your Marvel, your DC, Star Wars, when it comes out again. And we're going to review all those. But we also, enjoy the kind of uh low not I, I won't say low budget but uh the the movies that might not get a lot of hype because they're not well known or um you know the, the example we always use is parasite which obviously won best picture but at the time of release it was just a small relatively unknown film those are the types of films we, we kind of want to bring attention to so hopefully our podcast gives people a a reason to watch those movies that maybe they we're looking for a reason to, or they had never heard of them before. So mainly it's just to, you know, goof around and talk movies like we talk baseball on here, but uh, hopefully people enjoy our, our podcast and, and, you know, watch more movies because of it. Well, that's awesome. What's it called? Tell, tell the people. It is called Major Motion Podcast. Awesome. Check it out, mm-hmm. folks. If you enjoy listening to Nick talk about baseball, surely you will enjoy listening to him talk about movies. I mean, who doesn't love to hear me talk? <laughs> Hopefully everybody <laughs> listening to this podcast enjoys hearing you talk. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not a surprise. But one thing that might be a surprise is the trade deadline. As it tends to be, there's always going to be those teams that are surprise buyers, surprise sellers. So let's talk about it. Let's do that as our quick pitch tonight. What's one team you guys think might be a surprise buyer? And what's one team you think might be a surprise seller? So surprise buyer is going to be the Seattle Mariners. Oh, that was Um, mine. I have a story about them in the week review coming up, but they're talking for Whit Merrifield out of the Royals. They are pretty close. They have a good young core. Um, They have a very deep young outfield and a pretty good farm system. Um, They're kind of just a team that just exists, but I think they will buy because their GM absolutely loves trades and gets FOMO very quickly as soon as everyone else starts making trades. The guys made more trades than anyone else. It's not close. Surprise seller. Um, I think the Braves sell. Yeah, Those are my I mean, I guess that's two. that's not too much of a surprise at this point. But the Seattle was also my surprise buyer. I was reading um, some stuff about them earlier today, and they're within one and a half games now of the second wild card for the AL. So, you know, they've been in a long rebuild. I mean, they've been just a non-entity for a long time and it, it's fun. I'm sure for their fan base to finally have a, a team that's I mean, they're eight games over 500 right now. Um, obviously, you know, there are some, there's some tough competition in their division, but I definitely think they are looking like buyers and uh, I'm going to take the easy answer on sellers and go nationals who, you know, a month ago, what we were talking about was Kyle Schwarber's insane, run and how maybe this team was turning it around and here we are a month later getting swept by the Orioles so I think at this point it's a foregone conclusion 
the Nats will be sellers at the deadline. And if they're not, then Mike Rizzo needs to be fired because there's no way they can't sell at this deadline. There's just no way. Yeah, obviously the Mariners are the big surprise uh, theoretical buyers. We'll, we'll see what happens at the deadline. And obviously someone like Whit Merrifield makes a lot of sense because he has control beyond this year. He's not just a rental. So that's obviously a story to monitor. I don't know if this counts, um, but I think the seller's market uh, will definitely push some fringe teams to sell rather than try to push more chips into the center of the table and uh, contend. I don't know. Again, I don't know if it counts, but I think the Reds will probably sell. They're in second place in the central, but they're seven games back of Milwaukee. Uh, It's funny that, you know, they're seven games back and selling. That's what the Nats did. Well, they're eight games back now, the Nats. Um, Surprise buyers. I mean, I don't think the Yankees would technically be a surprise buyer. They're never going to admit that they're not going to be a playoff team after they spent an exorbitant amount of money on Garrett Cole. Um, I'll throw out the Phillies, I guess, because, yeah, they're only four games back, but it just doesn't seem like, (laughs) yeah, it just doesn't seem like they have the bones in place to contend. Whereas someone like a team like the Nats, you could argue they have the bones to contend. I would not make that argument, but you could, but someone like the Phillies, their rotation's not necessarily a strength. Their bullpen's certainly not a strength. Their lineup could be a strength, but has not been. So it's like, what are you reliant upon? Like with the Nats, it's like, oh, well, if Strauss gets healthy, if Corbin can rebound a little bit, then, you know, the big three. That's what everyone's always going to point to with the Nats, right? But with the Phillies, you can't do that. So they are surprised, but they're rumored to kind of make the same type of deal the Mariners are. They're looking at Byron Buxton right now. That's a situation to monitor closely. Byron Buxton was looking like a huge bust a uh, highly regarded prospect has turned his career around and is doing quite well. He's been injured a little bit this year, um, but his contract's coming up. So the twins are actually trying to extend him. But if that doesn't come to fruition, then he could be traded in Phillies at the top of the list. But I mean, this is my favorite time of year. I, I love the deadline mm-hmm. and it, it's going to be fascinating to watch because I think it always a team is. Like, I mean, the Cubs have already started their their sale and mm-hmm. have indicated that it's only going to get more uh, discounted or whatever, more on sale. Um, but what to what extent are the Cubs going to break it down? You know, are they going to trade like someone like Javi Baez, who they are probably looking to extend? Contreras, uh, you know, Kyle Hendricks, like how far are they going to break it down? Uh, I'm interested in stuff like that. Because I think we generally have a consensus of what teams are going to do, what teams are looking to do, but to what extent is always going to be the most interesting part. Yeah, it's pretty easy to tell who's going to be buyers and sellers most of the time as you approach the deadline, but to what extent is is a much harder question. And the NL Central is fascinating to me this year. I think, did we all pick St. Louis at the beginning of the season? I did. I I I thought they were going to be much better than they are. Yeah, I remember us that conversation and I... You know, we had we talked to the the beat reporter from from St. Louis, who, you know, everybody talked about St. Louis being the team to beat in the Central, and um, we thought maybe Milwaukee could, if anybody, maybe give them a run for their money. And Milwaukee's been surprisingly good, and St. Yeah. Louis has been surprisingly mediocre. 
Yeah, that was completely my fault. I would have picked Milwaukee because, like, they've always been that scrap. We talked about them in 2019 with uh, once Yelish went down and they still went on that run in September and obviously played the Nats in the wild card game, how scrappy they were even without Yelich. I completely forgot about Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta coming into the season. Granted, I didn't think they would have all-star performances, Mm-mm. but they they certainly deserved some more credit. I was only thinking about Brandon Woodruff and Josh Hader and uh, Devin Williams to to that extent, but they've yeah, been awesome. The and only I think team they're in the central with a positive run differential, the I think only thing, which is great. Legit. Yeah. Legit. Because like I said, they're always scrappy. They have sort of a big three in the rotation um, that can go up against a, a Dodgers or a, um, I guess the giants sort of have a, a sort of a, a big three. Uh, they have three pitchers that are pitching very well. And then obviously the Padres as well. So I think the, the the Brewers should be firmly in any conversation to contend for the uh, NL title. Love it. Speaking of the Padres, though, they made some moves. We and they're are done. Uh, moving. Yes. In the week in review, we're going to examine how everything is a moving as we are just five days away from the trade deadline starting off with the twins byron buxton as expected did not agree to a contract extension with the twins the twins are going to aggressively pursue him on sorry excuse me aggressively try to trade him on the trade market the mariners are in discussion about trade for whit merrifield as discussed a second go padres with the big shock so far even though they already have an all-star second baseman they acquired another one in adam Frazier from Pittsburgh. The Rays acquired Nelson Cruz and will be decided that they're going to start testing electronic devices for catchers to give signals to pitchers in their lower fall leagues. The Cleveland baseball team has a new name in the Guardians. They're paying homage to the city in a great way. Dodgers and Giants and Padres continue to monitor for pitching help. Dodgers are currently missing Betts, Muncie, Seager, Bellinger. They blew four games in the eighth or ninth inning this week alone. They had the worst record in MLB in extra innings. They have 17 one-run losses this season. They're two games back of the best record in baseball. This is a reminder, injuries are not an excuse. Chris Bryant and Rizzo's names continue to come up in trade talks. Rizzo is not likely to be moved as of now. Brad Hand and Daniel Hudson have come up in trade talks as well. We'll get to more about them in a second. The Yankees are monitoring for pitching and honestly, any help whatsoever. They lost a absolute brutal series to the Red Sox. They had a walk-off where they threw four wild pitches, and then they lost after having a no-hitter through six innings, and then they blew a five-run lead. Otani hits his MLB high 35th home run, and Fernando Tatis Jr. joins the 30 home run club. To the NL East, in fifth place are the 43 and 57 Marlins, They split four-game set with the Padres, and Marte is increasingly likely to be traded. Up next for them are the O's. In fourth place are the 45 and 53 Nats. More on them in a second. In third place are the 48 and 50 Braves. They split a four-game series against the Phillies. They're back to being undecided on the deadline. Up next for them are the Mets. In second place are the 49 and 49 Phillies, who are now 500 for the 19th time this season. Up next are the Nationals, and they are going to be buyers at the deadline. In first place are the 52 and 44 Mets. They took two out of three against the Blue Jays. They acquired Rich Hill, and they're still going to look for pitching help. Up next for them are 
the Braves. Make sure you guys check out our T Public site and search Half Street High Heat on T Public to keep up with all of our latest swag, shirts, mugs, whatever. We're always coming up with new stuff. Nick is making fire logos and designs. So make sure you guys head on over to T Public for that. This has been your week in review. I love how the Rays finally make a move to bolster their roster at the deadline, but it's too much money coming in. So they immediately trade Rich Hill too. (laughs) It's just like, I mean, when, when are the Rays just going to push all their chips in They're They're the team that it was the A's for a while. And you could argue it's still the A's, but the Rays are the team where it's like, go make that big splash of the deadline. And you're probably going to be set up pretty well. They made obviously the world series last year, with the roster they had at opening day with no real yeah. additions. It's crazy. If they would, if they were willing to just, even just for one season, like just spend some money, like right. you've got, you've got the core there. If you went out and got a couple of big, big time trades or big time free agents, something one year, you could you know, maybe win a world series, but it just seems like you said, as soon as they spent some money, they're like, Oh, we spent money. Let's get some off. They're of like, eesh. At know? least to, to the, I know I lumped the ace into this to that category uh but to the a's credit they did try to make some moves they uh acquired lester <laughs> way back when but at the time lester was like a big game pitcher they, that was the yo mm-hmm. Cespedes trade and lester absolutely stunk for them in the playoffs um so r.i.p to the a's we wouldn't know anything about lester thinking <laughs> and we wouldn't know anything about the playoffs either um what do you guys Not think this about year the- we wouldn't <laughs> what do you guys think about the the Cleveland Guardians name? I like it actually. I um my first thought, which is I still keep laughing about, is like, what if the Redskins? I'm sorry, I should. I met the Washington Football Team. What if they were thinking Guardians and they're like slow footing it and trying to like milk as much as they can out of Washington Football Team? I just kept picturing somebody in Ashburn when they announced Guardians in Cleveland, going, "Oh no!" <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I heard that was one of the names they were considering, but I like it. And I liked it even before the rest of it came out about the the statues, but those statues are right outside the stadium. So I think it's pretty cool. There's something apparently super recognizable in that town. And so it, it relates to the city, it relates to the fan base. You know, they're going to be able to, you know, to, to feel like it's something specific for them. And also I think their logos are pretty lame. I, I like the name, but I think they could have done a much better job on the logos. Yeah, that, that was my point. Um, I was pretty harsh on the name when it first came out. And then I, I mainly the bridge. I think uh, I'm not alone in saying like, once I found out about the bridge, it all kind of made more sense. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't have many interactions with them. But once I got into Indians Twitter or Cleveland baseball Twitter, a lot of them were pretty positive about the name because it made sense and obviously that had a lot to do with the bridge and it 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 was a name made for clevelanders and that's perfectly fine it wasn't made it doesn't need to appeal to to the rest of us yeah it it did wasn't made to sell merch to to other demographics and fan bases and whatsoever it's for clevelanders it's an easy switch it's changing two letters to four letters indians to guardians Uh, it was quick painless it's not drawn out like the washington football team's doing Right. Um, which is, Why is which it is so fine. fast it, for them if they were able to well, do this? It, this it, made a, it, it, it made a lot of sense. And after thinking about it, that's really what it came down to. It was an easy switch. It made sense. 
but I agree with you on the logos. The one thing and, um, Ryan pointed it out way back when we did our, I believe it was our Jersey rankings or something along those lines. The Indians just don't have an identity. They haven't had an identity since they retired chief Wahoo, which obviously <laughs> look at that thing. They needed to retire that, but they, they lacked an identity and they still do use look at that. The main logo with the flying G's around a baseball is something you can make in clip art. It, right. It's, it's really, really, really bad. Yeah. It does not like, look professional. I like, done I like the font kind of the, the alteration of what their font already is. I, I like the font, but that, I don't know if that's their main logo or alternate logo or whatever it's going to be. Just, it's really, really bad. Ryan, what do you think? So they had to get as far away as possible from chief Wahoo um for the obvious reasons they went a safe route um i would have liked to see them go spiders just because the yep. name was I there but seeing what guardians means to the city with the bridge and the government buildings around the city that have, like guardian statues i thought that was pretty cool the biggest issue here is that they did not go a complete re- rebrand if you're going to mm-hmm. change your name get new jerseys get like new color like maybe new color schemes everything they just like kept it as close as possible to the old logo bad business move always try to get more so you make more money but i don't have an issue with it i think the name's fine yeah. I do think if they had gone too far from like you can see it here in Washington with with the football team rebrand, like people you know, giving up the name is one thing, but people don't want to lose the color scheme. They want to keep, you know, some connection to the, the history of the team. And I'm sure they were, you know, keeping that in mind. They probably could have made more money with a complete redo of everything and, you know, sold more merch. But I don't know. I, I think that they could have gone logo wise, they could have gone with just the you know the statue heads, which are pretty pretty cool looking in my opinion but i have a feeling that as as bad as those logos are i bet they come up with something else i bet those don't stay their logos for more than a year or two they needed yeah they just needed a primary logo obviously when you have to change your name you want it to be something that's going to be worthwhile and i i I understand the that cleveland changed her name kind of just to get ahead of the pressure obviously uh, Redskins was the, the biggest issue for a long, long time. So that was kind of the, the, the priority before teams like the Indians, maybe the Blackhawks, Braves, Chiefs, around other sports um, and, and whatnot. So now that that first domino fell with Washington, then the Indians are like, all right, we already retired Chief Wahoo. We need a rebrand. So let's just get out ahead of this. There was no really real public i mean there was public pressure but not to the extent that we saw with the football team here but you you needed a primary logo and that's one thing we didn't see and i I unless it's that that baseball with the flying g's in which case you you failed right in which case no (laughs) yeah but in general i think it's fine at first i I was pretty harsh on it but then i kind of settled down i was like baseball has some dumb names like even the nationals Obviously, we're used to it now, but Nationals yeah, is kind of a dumb name. Mets is a dumb name. Yankees is a dumb name. Red Sox, White Sox, Reds. How about names. the New York Knickerbockers, which are named after pants? I mean, come on. Yeah, it's just like there, there's plenty of dumb names, but you just get used to it. Guardians, I just didn't like it because it was so generic. But again, that was before the bridge and kind of finding out what it meant to Clelanders and whatnot. So yeah. 
Uh, and it's, it's not fine. even the top 10 dumbest names in sports. No, no. I mean, the, their football team is literally called the Browns, which yeah. isn't even one yeah, of the best colors. So there are two, yeah. there are two baseball teams named after socks. Three reds are two. Oh yeah. That's a good point. Yep. It's a good point. So yeah. Anyway, seems like everybody likes it. Okay. And most importantly, it seems like Cleveland's fans like it. And that's really the only thing that matters. Yeah. You know what uh, Nats fans don't like though? Watching them play swept by the right Orioles. <laughs> well, yeah, get, playing baseball in general, that's fair. Speaking but for specifically myself. getting swept by the Orioles, which is what the Nats went out and did um, just to really drive a point home that I'm not even sure it needs to be driven home at this point. But in case there's anyone with optimism out there, let me crush it really quick. Uh, the Mets if are you've playing. you still got optimism at this point, right. you know, you're, you need to lend some to the rest of us. Right. Yeah. Um, the Mets are playing the Blue Jays. Tough series. Blue Jays are a good team. Mets managed to take two of three. That's without DeGrom, with Walker struggling. They managed to take two of three. Nats playing the Orioles, worst team in the AL, get swept. It's just the latest in a long line of evidence pointing to what this team is. Um, really, the, the question, it's pretty clear that the Nats should be selling. But the, the question is, in this really decade of a majority of contention and the Nats being legitimate contenders, is this rock bottom in the past 10 years? So this was the most, like important moment of the season right your schedule is getting a little bit easier you're you're trying to decide if you're going to be buyers if you're going to be sellers you have a high payroll your team is you know your gms before the season's like we're going to build a championship roster and you come out and you lay a complete egg against the worst team in the american league by the way i had over 60 losses the orioles had not won a game this season when they're trailing after eight innings they were 0 and 54 they are now one in 54. Thank you to the walking off the Nationals today, the sweep. The Orioles have the worst starting pitching in baseball. They also play one of the most hitter friendly ballparks. It was very warm this weekend, which is more hitter friendly weather. Nationals scored four runs in the first two games against Matt Harvey and someone else whose name I'm blanking on. This was an embarrassing series that should not have gone this way. This is the rock bottom of the season. And it legitimately felt like the era just died. I thought the era died after the 2019 World Series. I thought they should have reset then. No one was ready for that. But this was legit the ending of this era. It's dead. We all kind of talked about that too. Just sorry, man. Just for the record, like all three of us said after 2019, "Eh, it seems like a good time to reset. But obviously after coming off a World Series, you're not going to reset too much because that you know, you, you want to see it, at least give them a chance to run it back. But now they really need to set. Go ahead, Amanda. Oh, no, I pretty much just what you said that like it's been coming a long time. I think you could have made the argument in 2018 before they won the World Series that it was time for a reset. And you know, in retrospect, I'm glad they did it because they won a World Series. But, you know, at this point, you, you, you really hit it on the head, Ryan, that the era died. I mean, I think you're going to see. I don't know if Max is going to be traded. We had a great conversation with um, Todd Divas about that. We're going to hear that interview a little later in the show um, about whether or not Max is going to still be a national next week. But, um, you know, they really at this point need to just look around and say, this season is over. 
And that's okay. You can't win forever. We've had this conversation ad nauseum is you can't win every year forever and never reset. And if they can do essentially rather than a full tank rebuild, but can do a, can sell off enough good pieces and they do have good pieces. Nick, you mentioned they do have the bones of a good team. They just couldn't put it together this year. And if they can take those pieces and trade them for a restock of the farm system that this team desperately, desperately needs, then, you know, maybe you can contend again next year or the year after. But even if they can't see themselves not trying to contend again next year, you have to, have to, have to get something back for these pieces you have. What is the good of having? I love Josh Harrison. He's been a huge surprise. I think you could get a nice something for him from a team that needs needs a utility guy going into a, a playoff run. Like you can you can trade off these pieces and maybe you're not going to get a huge haul for anybody other than Max. But you can get a really nice package in return if you get rid of all of these people. And it's hard as a fan to watch those guys go, especially a name like Max. Um, I don't think Trey and Soto are even on the table, um, although some people are talking about that. But it, this is one of those times where as fans, we need to just take a deep breath and know that if you're a fan of this team and not of the individual players, this team needs to sell right now. That's... You're absolutely right. Um, I mean, they, they certainly have the bones as of now, but like we talked about prior to the season, so much needed to go right. And for a time, it did. It was a brief, small that time window. Was called June. And it was fun. <laughs> but even in June, you didn't have everything going right. Strauss wasn't healthy. No. Corbin wasn't pitching well. Uh, Bell had, you know, been better, but certainly wasn't quite to the level you might have hoped yet he he's been better as of late because he's con- steadily continued to get better but th- that was your best and it was against pretty weak teams and you haven't done anything that really has proven you otherwise see now that was an interlude it was not a right. turnaround and that's it what that's a- what we all talked about at that time it's like is this who the nats are or is this just a good two three week stretch of baseball like every team has at some point during the season. And right now we're seeing it, it was the latter. So the thing with all these trades is, yeah, someone like Josh Harrison might not net you a, a substantial return, but not only does that replenish your farm system, it also gets you, gives you more assets to go out and trade with. If you don't want to break it down completely, I, I guess that's fine. Um, but trading guys like that would give you more assets to in turn flip to go get other guys, maybe guys with team control or whatever, like prospects have more value than just what they project to add to your MLB roster in a couple of years. They have value for trades and other stuff. So you can't just push that idea to the side because you don't like the idea of not contending this year. Nats fans are spoiled. We've been saying it for a long time. They, they haven't gotten used to this they haven't needed to and that's been awesome but look at any team that has really won a title in the past 10 years in any sport at some point all those teams for the most part have needed to reset retool rebuild whatever you want to call it look at the royals right now they were at the top of the end or excuse me of the al for a couple years and now look at them Right. And the Giants were kind of the same. Granted, they're a little bit of anomaly right now, but 
they they were in purgatory for for, for a while after their dominance. A lot stretch. of bad contracts. Right, a lot of bad contracts is which is what you're kind of seeing with the Nats right now. And with the we can, Giants, we can throw the Capitals in that pile. I know how you love right. to talk about the Capitals on but this podcast. The, the Giants are almost a perfect comp because that's prior to the season. That's really the direction the Nats we see the Nats going. But the Giants got lucky, quite honestly. They hit on a bunch of these low level deals, which is when things go right. Right, Gosman, Wood, DeScalfani, all these one year deals are just paying off for them, and it's like. This is what happens when things go well, but they're not built to last. So it's like with the Nats, yeah, if they hit on a bunch of one-year deals, they can be good. But I yeah, mean, everything needed to go that, right for them, not, and it didn't. And that's everything not a needed plan. to go right for the Giants, and it did. You can right, kind of see right. This. So point is, it's not fun, but it's the reality, and that's kind of what we've been talking about, and obviously we'll be talking about up until Saturday when the trade deadline hits. Um, but as far as the, the series goes, the offense went cold, ice cold. And normally the Orioles playing the Orioles is a get right series for your offense. So the fact that it was a get wrong uh, series. Yeah. This and, series was you know, a get right series for the Orioles offense. So, Soto, who had been obviously tearing the cover off the ball since the Derby, he went one for 10 in the series. So it, it just goes to show how reliant this team is upon its superstars. Do you think yeah. it's mental? Um, I think it's the fact that they only have two good players in their lineup. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, that. But also, like, I mean, like, does the lead up to the to the deadline and the fact that, you know, everybody can see they're going to be sellers and the season's pretty much going to be over, do you think that's affecting them? I mean, right now? not really, just because, look, they've struggled the entire season. The entire season has been trade term. And then once those are picking up, it's been them too. Kyle Schwarber hit his thing where he was just, you know, uh, walking on water. They started playing well. Like you guys talked about, they only had the couple weeks where they played well. Analytics and stats do not lie. Every single indication said that was an outlier. It was an outlier. They're just not that good. Like the lineup is just Trey and Juan Soto. When one of them struggles, they don't win. It's as simple as that. They don't really have enough in there. And what we saw this weekend was Juan Soto ground to a good amount of double plays. Trey didn't play that well either. Juan did hit a couple home runs, which is really nice to see. But when guys were on, they weren't really doing anything. So when they're not clicking, this team's just not going to win. Yeah, that's pretty much in a nutshell. You can't have, you don't have enough good people in your lineup to, that if any of your good players struggle, you can't win. There's nobody else hitting well enough to, to pick up that slack. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it, it's it's not sustainable to, to rely upon one or two guys, and just this epitomizes what we were saying before the season. Um, and obviously, this team certainly hoped it would be picked up by its starting pitching, and the starting pitching wasn't terrible, but it wasn't what it needed either. Um, <laughs> And obviously the, the biggest story was or has continued to be Max Scherzer, both for what he's been able to do this season, but also expiring contract. His name is circulated in trade rumors. Should he become available, which we haven't gotten firm confirmation yet. It seems like we're trending towards that. Um, he would be the best and most coveted, certainly pitcher on the market, if not player for a lot of contending teams and a lot of contending teams with deep farm systems. 
Um, so that's all going on. I believe it, what, it was Friday or Saturday this was going on. And the <laughs> worst timing possible, Max gets scratched from the start with, uh, <laughs> I believe it was forearm. Uh, nothing too serious, but it just like forearm, forearm discomfort or, or something. So scratch from the start. to make his the, next, the, next start. Basically. The same what, day. Team? Yeah, the, the same day that fair. all these rumors start really circulating. I think Heyman started reporting on it. Uh, Decomo, uh, no, no, not Decomo. Frederico. Uh, Fe- Frederico. Uh, he was the one who got it going, and Heyman kind of confirmed it. And obviously, Heyman's a Boris puppet, who's Max Scherzer's agent, Scott Boris. So, it, you know, we're st- really starting to see these things come together. So, l- let's do a little. Uh, l- let's go down the line of all the the p- potential uh, chips the Nats have to to potentially trade, and we'll start with Max. I think we're all in agreement here. I don't think any of us will necessarily like it. But they should trade Max, right? I'll like it. Oh, well, I won't yeah. like. Well, I'll like it and hate it. But I also it'll be know, bittersweet. Yeah. I think let he'll me have phrase. to agree to go wherever they trade him. So it's it's not as simple as will the Nats decide to trade him? Of yeah, course, but I, it, I he think... also has to be traded. Just t- literally, these conversations right. should have started. It appears these conversations already have started. Um, there's been a lot of smoke for a while. Max is aware of it, so he needs to be traded, and I'm pretty sure he's going to be traded. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's just interesting because he'll have to, you know, he'll have to agree since he has a full no trade, and and the team he gets traded to will have to be one that he, I'm sure he has a list, and I'm sure if he's going to be traded, he'd like to contend. So it's probably a small. Well, team. he's he's in luck because the teams that are connected to him are the Dodgers, the Padres, the Giants, and the Boston Red Sox. All four of them are the best teams in baseball. So. Yeah. He, yeah, he's in luck there. Watching and, him in another uniform might make me vomit. I'm just gonna throw that out there. You bring that up, and granted, th- this is prime time for all these no-name Twitter accounts with quote-unquote sources to to be dropping dropping uh, rumors and whatnot on the timeline. But th- there's one Dodgers account in general who apparently had the the Mookie bets the details of the Mookie bets trade a couple days before it was confirmed and it happened. So. You know, you can still take it with a grain of salt, but something to monitor. He's saying the Dodgers are all in on Max Scherzer and that the Dodgers oh. are talking extension with Max Scherzer as well. And I'm not going to put too much stock into it, but I only bring it up because it would make a lot of sense for Max to use his leverage, that being the 10-5 rights he has and the full no trade clause, to leverage that into – a contract extension with his new team to take him to the end of his career. It, it just makes all the ten, all the sense in the world. Something important. Don't pay attention to any reports regarding Max that talk about contract extension because contracts extensions are going to take a long time, especially when you're trading for someone that stuff can take up to months. You're going to hear about it this entire week. Don't put a lot of stock into it because it does not matter right now. I'm not saying it'll happen right now, but I'm just saying for Max, it makes a lot of sense to try to negotiate an extension with this team. Like maybe he gets traded to the Dodgers, but if he doesn't want to stay with the Dodgers past this year, well, maybe he vetoes the Dodgers and goes to uh, the Red Sox or whatever other team that he would prefer to stay with, whatever. I'm not saying whatever team he gets traded to, he's going to stay with past this year, but. You know, if you have leverage, you might as well use it. And Max is a pretty savvy 
individual yeah, and he's a pretty smart dude. Yeah. All right. So the next one, and this one's probably less likely, but we talked about it before. Maybe he doesn't fit the Nats window. He is uh, due for a, a quite a large contract extension when his deal is up. And that's obviously Trey Turner. Um, I think I know how both of you are going to answer this, but Amanda, let's start with you. <clears throat> Thoughts on potentially trading Trey Turner? Um, I would never say no outright to this, because if you put together an insane package to get him, then I think the Nats would have to listen to that. Um, the only person I would put totally off limits is Juan Soto. Um, obviously, in, in, unless somebody absolutely blows the doors off with an offer for a tray, I, I think it, it doesn't make sense. To, they have to try to keep him. I mean, he's, you know, we t- we've been joking all year about him being the MVP less lately, but um, he is one of the best shortstops in baseball. His numbers are phenomenal. He's having kind of quietly a really great year. He was overshadowed by Schwarber there for a while and maybe lately a little overshadowed by Soto since the Derby kind of going crazy again, just because, you know, the Soto's kind of a face of baseball guy and he gets tweeted out by the MLB Twitter account a lot and all that. But I think Trey is a piece you absolutely could build at, around after a retool. If you had Trey and Soto, you've got a really nice place to start with this reset, retool, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. But I wouldn't say he's totally off limits. If somebody wants to offer you enough to make it worth it, then I think the Nats should listen. Ryan, let me guess what you're going to say. You're going to say trade him, but not yet. (laughs) So (laughs) trading him this offseason does not make sense. You would be trading low on him. You're like, well, he has a whole nother year of, um, control. The reason for that is the free agent shortstop market is very, very deep. No one is going to pay up for him because if someone wants a shortstop, they'll turn to the free agents who are going there or they'll just sign one, you know, in the offseason. The Nats aren't going to contend next year. They're probably not going to contend the year after that either. Um, they're going to be on about like a three year window right now to get to that point where they're going to be contenders again. Next year is the year you look into trading him. He's going to be an impending free agent. That's when you have to sell him. Not this year. Amanda, I disagree with you on saying he's a good piece to build around. He's going to be 30 years old when he's a free agent. You do not build around 30-year-olds. Juan Soto is the only piece this team actually has they can build around. Everyone else needs to be available. I also don't think Trey should get the long contract extension just because from the analytics standpoint of it, but... I wouldn't trade them this year. I would explore it next year. Nailed yeah, that's that. Why, that's why we uh, build this podcast around 26-year-olds. Uh, can't build around 30-year-olds. Wow. wow, I'm I'm feeling pretty insulted right now. <laughs> Amanda, you're 26 too. Yeah, 29 again on my last birthday. <laughs> I only celebrate anniversaries of my 29th birthday now. That's how I do it. No birthday. Yeah, it's only, it's only, it's only what, your, your first anniversary of your 29th? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, we'll go with that. (laughs) All right, now we get into a couple of more realistic trade uh, chips that we'll probably get dealt even if Max and now Trey uh, aren't. Um, First, and probably the the biggest one, not named Max Scherzer, is Brad Hand. Uh, Obviously, he's come up with a couple of rumors, specifically with the Blue Jays, but plenty of contenders need bullpen help. Brad Hand being a lefty and closing experience. And obviously he, he had a rough outing today, but generally a pretty good season. I think he, he can get you 
a, a decent return. What do you guys think? Yes, trade them. Relievers always go for a pretty good price at the deadline because every single contender wants them. There's a, excuse me, there's a good market for them. Add in the fact that he's a lefty, adds more to it. Most of his struggles come in when he has to pitch the 10th inning. He has a very, very bad ERA when he has to pitch in 10th inning. His numbers are rather strong when he's only pitching, you know, not in extra innings. He will get you a very good return in. Yes, he 100% should be traded. Yeah, I agree. He's, I think, the biggest no-brainer trade chip that the Nets have. Um, Max, of course, is more complicated, as we just discussed. Trey, I don't think, is going to get done this year. But Hand is somebody that, if you're not going to contend, you don't need a big-name closer. And you can, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams who are looking for, for a lefty reliever, especially one with closing experience. So he is absolutely, I would say, get him out of here. See what you yep. can get for him. I completely agree. And the only thing I'll add to the conversation is this is kind of what we identified at the time of the signing. It's like, hey, one-year deal doesn't hurt you too much, even if he stinks. But if you're in contention, then obviously having a Brad Hand in your bullpen does you great. And if you're not in contention, having a Brad Hand in your bullpen is immense trade value. And mm-hmm. so here we are in one of the, the scenarios. So I think he definitely needs to be traded. Similar vein, but maybe not quite as value. But again, he's still having a pretty good season uh, and will have some uh, interest as well. And that's Daniel Hudson. Obviously, a little bit more uh, meaning behind him. Not quite to the level of Max, but obviously there, there's a little n- nostalgia there and he's still effective. He's not quite like the uh, uh, Doolittle effect that we saw at the end of Doolittle's tenure with the Nats. Uh, what do you guys think about trading Daniel Hudson? I think this one makes sense too. Um, he is having a nice season. He's got a two, three, seven ERA, which is, you know, perfectly respectable. It's he's doing quite well. Um, he's made 29 appearances so far, which, you know, he's reliable. He's a guy you can go to when you need him. Um, I think he's got great value too. This is one of those kinds of trades where in a year where the Nats were contending, this is the kind of trade you make, you know, that Rizzo would have made to, you know, put the bullpen over the top. And there's going to be a lot of teams who could use a guy who maybe isn't, kind of a big sexy name like Brad Hand but is going to be a very very valuable play. I know he hates closing but he can do it and he's also great in you know in the setup innings. I mean he's a really he's a really versatile reliever and uh, I think he's he's going to be a tempting trade piece for a lot of contending clubs. Yep. Whenever you have a reliever that you can trade, you absolutely trade them because the same thing I said for hand applies here. Relievers go for a very good price at the deadline. We've already seen his market start to fold. Um, Blue Jays apparently already had discussions. The Phillies are not going to trade within division, but Padres are looking. Dodgers need bullpen help. White Sox, Red Sox, Yankees, every single contender needs bullpen help. There would be a strong market for hand and Hudson when they're available just to uh, which they should be right now <laughs> since you brought up uh about a intra inter intra nl east trade uh the reports coming out of new york are that the mets are going to inquire and max scherzer for what it's worth i thought that was pretty funny <laughs> I, I saw I that i will yeah. throw such a tantrum <laughs> like you know you want to know i will be i will be so insufferable if he becomes a met i just i can't even i seriously i can't not even as a thought exercise i can't go there no a thousand times no yeah but hand and hudson uh linked to the blue jays i'm gonna go out of order a little bit i don't know who reported it 
but there was uh, rumors that the Blue Jays were interested in John Lester. Uh, if they want him, they can have him. Right. I'll pack his bags myself. Yeah. (laughs) Ryan, anything to add about John Lester? Look, I tweeted it out. Not a damn soul (laughs) on this earth is going to want that man. Um, He's going to be our bucks. He's going to be our ace the rest of the season. (laughs) Uh, What was it that Billy Bean said in Moneyball? It's like, I want free sodas in my vending machine. I don't want my guys paying for sodas. It's going to be like that level (laughs) deal for for John Lester. Um, Let's talk about someone who's probably a little bit more of a conversation piece. He's quickly become one of my favorite players. Um, that's Josh Bell. Obviously, we just acquired him in the offseason. Didn't start off so hot, but he's been really solid uh, since May, pretty much. Um, what do you guys think about the the possibility of trading Josh Bell? I, I don't it, see it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think he gets traded um, for several reasons. One, this team has a lot of needs already. Adding a first baseman to that mix doesn't make sense anyways um also it's a lot harder to find a first baseman so i would not trade him and i would just ride him this year and next year yeah i, I yeah. agree with that i don't think he's going anywhere i you know he's he's got another year he's not very expensive he's been hitting quite well he plays serviceable first base and i have a feeling they're going to bring him back on another one-year deal to platoon with bell so i don't think he's going anywhere i think you could it theoretically get you know, he's, he's been hitting quite well. I think you could get, you know, a, a decent haul back for him, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. You, you wouldn't, if you're going to trade value, you would need something like a Kyle Schwarber stretch where you can really say, Hey, he's hot right now. You want this guy right now. A lot of teams would take him, but he's not that needle moving addition right now. He, he absolutely could be, but you want the the value to be at its highest before you trade someone like Bell. I love Bell, and he's making like, I think it's like seven million next year. So it's not really yeah, hurting. Very you. affordable. Yeah. So and he's young, so maybe they work on an extension if his production uh, continues to to be solid, and uh, he can be a part of whatever the future looks like. A um, couple of guys that probably easier to part with they've all been having pretty good seasons when they're healthy at least uh first one kyle schorber we've talked about a little bit but if you're trading people like max hand hudson schorber's gone right so schorber and gomes i am grouping together because the answer is the same you shop them out there they are injured right now but some teams may want to take on that risk even though they are injured you see if anyone wants to be like hey they're injured right now but they're good and they're healthy see if anyone wants it if not that's okay if someone does you move them like i said the nats have a lot of holes next season outfield is one of them but it's a lot easier to find a left fielder just you know plug in then it's fine for his baseman shorber and gomes you throw out there see what happens if they're injured no one bites that's completely fine yeah, I think that's a really good way for them to approach it. Um, I, I think Schwarber has obviously proven what he can be. He's still he's still amazing when he's healthy. So I do think there would be people who'd be interested in Schwarber. I mean, he's a mutual option next year. So if they decide they want him around for another season, given the, uh, you know, maybe they want somebody that they're going to have a hit behind Soto and they don't want to have to go searching for them. Maybe they decide to hang on to Schwarber um, with the expectation that he'll, you know, they'll both you know, keep, you know, they'll both agree for him to stay here. I don't know with gums. I feel like that's a no brainer. 
I think you try to move him if you can. Um, I, you know, he's, he's not a real needle moving guy either, but he's, he's a good catcher defensively. And I, you know, I think he's going to go if anybody will take him injured. He's one that hand Huddy and Gomes are the ones I'm expecting are the most likely to be traded. Yeah. Uh, and obviously hard, or good catchers are pretty hard to come by and he, he's been very, very uh, good this, this year, especially in terms of uh, catching and you saw he we were criticizing his game calling when he first got here and he's since developed a rapport with seemingly the whole staff and has since been calling great games and really more of what we expected. Uh, he's been playing more of what we expected when, when we got him. So he'd be valuable. Obviously we saw what Schwarber did in June. What about uh, Josh Harrison? I mean, I know you talked about him a little bit, kind of a super utility guy. He's going to have a spot uh, on all 30 teams. He's been maintaining surprisingly good offensive production all year long Mm -hmm. he has um i wouldn't obviously if you can get a decent return for him i'd say you move him because you're in this you know retool whatever you want to call it but if you're not getting what you want for him you know he's a guy if he's willing to stay here and for another year i mean he's been the kind of he's been kind of steady eddie the mr reliable when everybody there's been the injuries there's been up and you know kind of offensive woes from other players up and down, you know, Harrison's been a guy you can count on. So he's one who I would move if you feel like you can get something in return for him that makes it worth it. But if you don't, if it's just kind of, Oh, here's a prospect or two low level that may never get to the show. I would, I think he's worth more than that. And if you can't get what he's worth, I would just, you know, keep him on the team and see if you can resign him next year. Well, yeah, right. What do you think? Is there any situation where you keep him? No, um, <laughs> no, like huts in the hand need to be gone. Josh Harrison's on that list as well. Unfortunately, Amanda, what he is going to get is a C level prospect or a low B level prospect. It's not going to be someone who changes your farm. It's not going to be someone's top 15, but that is what he's going to go for. You don't really know what his market is going to be. Yes, there is going to be someone like him on rosters that teams would need but you're looking at maybe like the mariners the brewers teams like that who already well mariners have good farm system brewers don't but you're getting a c level or b level prospect from that is his value and yeah you send them out yeah i've I've liked jay hay and i think he would be uh willing to potentially negotiate an extension just like he did last year he signed a one-year extension before free agency started this is the place where he kind of rejuvenated his career in a sense. He was a mainstay in Pittsburgh for, for a little bit and then bounced around and got cut by the Phillies and landed with the Nats because we love outcasts and uh, frequently shop in the bargain bin in the Island of Misfit toys. And that's where Josh Harrison was. He rejuvenated his career. He's been solid. I wouldn't mind if he stayed, but if you're, if you're selling everyone, Josh Harrison's going to get value. Yeah, my question is, he, you can get something for him. I just happens. don't know if if he's willing to be, sign an extension here. Like, would you rather have Josh Harrison next year or would you rather have a C-level prospect? Prospect. You you can't, like, with someone like Josh Harrison, you can't be like, well, what if he doesn't want to resign? You know what I mean? Because, like, right. there's guys like him everywhere. Yes, he's been valuable, but he's not someone who should be a starter, but he's been starting because that's how the year has gone. That is not someone you sit here and go, well, 
do we want to resign them or do we want the prospects? That's what you do with someone like Bryce Harper. The Nats decided we want to try to resign him. It didn't work out. That's not something you do with Josh Harrison because one, he's not going to be very expensive. Two, guys like him are easy to find on the free agent market. And three, he's more than likely would be willing to come back because like he's not going to have the greatest free agent market, especially with how deep this free agency class is. So someone like that would be easy to move and easy to bring back. Yeah, but you've heard uh, our takes on all these guys for long enough. Let's uh, let's get the take from someone who's um, a little bit more qualified to talk about it than we are. Yeah, so Amanda and I this weekend sat down with the fantastic Todd Divis, one of my favorite interviews to do. He's a pleasure to talk to, and there was a lot to talk about because, as I mentioned, we did it on Saturday, and it was about an hour after some of these trade reports came up. So it was a fantastic interview and we hope you guys enjoy it. What's up everyone. We are now joined by Todd Dibus. You guys can give him a follow on Twitter at Todd underscore Dibus and make sure you check out inside the clubhouse. He's the author and host of the newsletter and clubhouse room about the nationals. Todd, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you two? Doing, doing doing good. Great. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah, trade deadline time. Yes, trade rumor time. Yeah, and we got we got a lot coming in today. So we were recording this on Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. This episode's going to air Monday, so things might change. But this morning, Dan Federico reported that the Nationals are open to moving anyone not named Juan Soto for the right price. And then John Heyman reported that Max Scherzer trade talks have begun. John Heyman might be on Scott Boris's payroll, so that's kind of interesting um what are your thoughts on these trade rumors and there's anything that you might be potentially hearing that says the Nats have committed to selling because last we heard from Rizzo they were taking a a buy sell approach and deciding basically right before yeah I think (sighs) there's a lot to unpack in those two statements that you you let off with um with what those guys are tweeting I would say this that I think they should be sellers. Um, I, I'll, I'll start there. And I think they made a big mistake in 2018 by not being wholehearted mm-hmm. sellers. Um, they should have traded Bryce Harper. Uh, you know, the whether we're ever going to be sure that that was canned by ownership, which certainly seems like it was the case. Um, you know, they made a mistake there. And they have a depleted farm system. I think the people in charge of the baseball side of the equation kind of saw this coming down the pipe. Um, and so they should have made more moves then and they didn't. And I've been wondering if this year is essentially going to turn into 2018 again, where they kind of piecemeal things and they hang around um, and they don't really take what they can move and move it. Uh Things are much different now because of the pandemic though. And if I'm an owner and I took all that revenue loss last year and all the revenue loss to start this year, and I have like a 500 team um, and you're kind of bringing back your fan base, I don't know how adamant I would be to get rid of the reasons to come to the stadium for the final two months of the season. And even if that means you end up being like an 82 win team and you don't make the playoffs. And I think that's kind of the path these guys are going on, right? Like 78 to 82 wins and they're not going to track down the Mets, but do you want to give everybody a reason to come the rest of the season? Or are you going to tell them within the next week 
we're giving up on this year. See you next year in the stadium's going to be populated by 15 to 17,000 people um, kind of down the line here uh, while the team gets beat up and limps to the finish. I think that's a calculus that the owner ownership um, is definitely going to do. Uh, I would do it if I was in charge and, and you're looking at all the finances involved. As far as moving anyone not named Juan Soto, to me, that certainly strikes as hyperbole. I think there's specific people who are pretty obvious pieces. Jan Gomes, once he's healthy, certainly Hudson in hand. Um, if they don't trade those two guys, I'll be very, very surprised. That I mean, that just seems so obvious to move those two guys and get a couple prospects for them and, and try to continue to, you know, at least increase your numbers and your depth in the minor league system. You're not going to get high-end immediate impact guys um, you know, trading relievers at the deadline. But most of the promise in this organization's minor league system is at the lowest levels. It's down at A, and obviously they moved Kate Cavalli to double A. But to start the season, basically everyone was at Wilmington um, outside of Luis Garcia that, you know, really mattered. And so I think they're kind of trying to back all that up down there at the lower levels and trading those relievers is a way to do that. Maybe Josh Harrison, and as I said, certainly Gomes. Um, obviously, Juan Soto's not going anywhere. Victor's not going anywhere. I don't think Trey Turner certainly is going anywhere. Josh Bell's not going anywhere because he's arbitration next year. My assumption is they pick up the mutual option with Schwarber once he gets healthy, so he's not going anywhere. So now you're suddenly talking about a pretty small group of trade options um, when you're talking about anybody not named Juan Soto, that's still not a huge group. And I think the biggest question is obviously what John Heyman was talking about, what to do with Max. And that's been the biggest question, you know, this whole time. Um, certainly yeah. in April, I didn't think he, I thought there was a 0% chance he would be traded, even with a bad start. Um, and then obviously when they played well for like two weeks, which we now have seen is anomaly and not, an actual, not the actual team. Um, maybe when it's healthy, Kyle <laughs> Schwarber's going crazy. That's the actual team. Um, but that's not what we're looking at here the last few weeks, right? So, you know, the all the parameters of a possible Max Scherzer trade um, have kind of come back because the team has slipped back and is seven games back in the Mets and their only path to the postseason is to win the division. Yeah, and you make a good point about the revenue and attendance. The Nats didn't get their 2020 like full parade that they would have gotten the entire season. When teams right. win the World Series, they see a huge increase in season tickets, ticket sales, mm -hmm. and revenue. So I think that could play a part. Um, obviously, if the Nats do sell, the guys you mentioned, the relievers and Harrison would get a decent return. But the biggest prize of the entire trade deadline will be Max Scherzer if he yep. is available what type of return do you think the Nats could potentially get if they do decide to trade him uh there's just so many layers to his situation in particular so are let's start with this are, are you renting him only or or are you trying to do an extension with him or are you renting him with the idea of trying to do an extension um obviously that it's going to have a huge influence on the prospective return. I, I don't think, I mean, 
again, it's, it's, it's tricky because the organization could use anyone, right? Like they, they have starting pitching depth seemingly um, at the lower levels of the minor leagues, but they could use more pitching, right? Positionally, everybody they could, could always more, use more pitching, <laughs> right? And positionally, right, exactly. And positionally, they could just use more guys, right? They have a lot of players, but they don't seem to have a lot of guy guys who are like, oh, this this guy's going to be a thing, right? There's not not too many of those. Um, actually, there's very few of those. Basically, it's Luis Garcia to me positionally for them right now, and everything else is a gigantic maybe or lower. So. They need to do something about that, ideally. Um, and again, I think it's there's a volume play here for the Nationals, and that's kind of a revert back to the Hudson Hand situation. Are, are you going to get multiple top 15 prospects from another team? No. But are you going to get three guys, possibly, or two, um, plus player to be named later? That's reasonable. Um, you know, you think kind of what they sent out for like Kelvin Herrera a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. That was a that was three players they sent out. Um, they were lower level. And that's kind of how those those trades usually work. Um, I'm just not real convinced that Max Scherzer is going to be traded. I'm just really? not. That's and, interesting because it's almost seeming like the the momentum is building for it, but you're yeah. you're not sure that it's going to happen because to me, I don't. I'm hoping if it happens that he comes back here in the off season. So mm-hmm. if he is a rental and he's not willing to sign a long term extension with any team, then you know, back to Ryan's question is what's a realistic expectation for him? And if it's not very much because he's a rental, then. You know, maybe yeah. the Nats, maybe the Nats don't do it for the reasons you mentioned about you know not wanting to deflate the the fan base to a point where they don't want to come out to the ballpark. You know what, Amanda is it's more about him uh, to me than it is about the team's willingness to do it. And I, I, I do think that that obviously I was just on my soapbox about the possible revenue in the second half, right, mm-hmm. or the remaining couple months about how you know. Max being there would matter um, to a certain segment of fans. They want to come out and see him pitch. Um, But initially, I would say maybe even like six weeks ago, we were debating this in the press box. And I said to Jesse Doherty, the Washington Post, that I think Max, a Max trade, the possibility of a Max trade ended October 31st, 2019. Um, He didn't necessarily agree with me, but I don't know why Max would say that's okay. Yes. Trade me. Right. He has to give permission. He's mm-hmm. in total command of the situation. Um, he's a very analytical person, very pragmatic person. Um, he also has three kids um, and he has a very comfortable situation here. And so he needs a situation, a perspective trade situation that checks all the boxes for him is well-researched, makes a lot of sense. Um, he's willing to engage in, and I just, I find it um, more, cha- the more challenging portion of this, like I said, his acceptance of being traded versus the organization's willingness, should they be, even more distinctly out of it than they are right now when they're bumbling around and losing to the Marlins and the Orioles. 
Yeah, and that's a really excellent uh, point to make is that Max does have total control. Much, you know, not all players have that sort of situation where he gets to decide. And you really have to ask yourself, what's in it for him? Like, why would what, he want? To there's right. What what is right? He he won. Remember when he? So there was a part after the after they won Game Seven. He's on the field with Annabelle. I was on the field and missed this while I was on the field because it's just chaos, right? And uh-huh. but they're hugging, and he grabs Annabelle and screams. We finally did it. And so like he, he got there, right? So w- what is What's the carrot left for, for him, him to, yeah. Yeah, what is the carrot for him to turn his life upside down for two months um, and join another team he doesn't know much about? That, that would be my question. That's Maybe it. it is just he wants to do it again and, and take another shot. Maybe. Maybe, I guess we'll know in a week or so. <laughs> But can we circle back real quick to the minor leagues? I feel like everybody's talking, everybody knows they don't want to part with Rutledge or Cavalli. Those are from everything I've been hearing. Those guys are off the table and everyone's talking a lot about the major league pieces that the Nats might be willing to trade. And I keep thinking about Keyboom. Does he have any trade value at all at this point as a reclamation project for another team? Or like, is there any package you could see getting put together? That includes includes Carter. Yeah. I I think not now. Um, I think in the winter, that's a possibility. Um, you, you could try to find a path with him then. But now he recently had the knee injury. There was no structural damage. So that's good for him and any athlete. Obviously, we don't want that to happen to anybody. Um, and just performance wise, if I'm another organization and I look at how banged up the Nationals have been this year, and what they've done to fill those voids while banged up. And they didn't once bring up Carter Keyboom. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, that really speaks volumes about where they are on, on their yes. opinions. They're like, we're going to ride with Jordy Mercer. Yeah, um, <laughs> like literally <laughs> anyone but Carter. very capable is utility of- player, right? And, and this unbelievably nice guy if you ever get to meet him. But if you supposedly have a prospect at third base, then you the prospect would be playing if you viewed him as a capable player um, for any for longer than five days uh, or something like that, um, as opposed to turning to one of the two. Remember, there was two veteran utility infielders to start the season instead of Keyboom, and we still haven't seen Keyboom, and it's July twenty fourth. And they've been, you know, decimated by injury in that right. time and we still haven't seen him. Yeah, when I think of the traits that were offered for Keyboom in the past and <laughs> that they didn't take, it makes my stomach hurt. Yeah, that's how it always goes, <laughs> right? Like when when to know to pull the trigger is an amazing, yeah. amazing That's thing. the trick. <laughs> yeah, it is. So speaking of players that this organization may might not view the same, Victor Robles has sat four of the last five games we've seen yeah. andrew stevenson start in center field we saw harada para start in there one game has the nats view changed on harada para where he is now a fourth outfielder slash platoon or is he dealing with some underlining injury that we haven't really heard about yeah no i think they're making victor take a break um and take a look i mean his ops plus is 78 that's that's pretty rough um you know is a euphemism but yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i mean in his ops is 627 so and the lack of power is also astonishing um i don't know what happened there 
and we we know that just like being um like weightlifter strong doesn't mean that you necessarily have baseball power right but you know victor is obviously an explosive athlete um and he hit 17 homers in 2019 mm-hmm. so and had 33 doubles. So like, there's something there. Um, but right now this is kind of the effect of baseball. Um, that's different than any other sport in that the relentlessness of the daily games, um, can just, it's like drowning by faucet drip, um, just little by little, And then you look up and your numbers are terrible and you're like, how did I get here? And I used to be able to play this game. And um, that's what makes it so difficult for everybody. And to see him age and go in reverse, like his statistics are Benjamin Button. Um, It's just, it's illogical. Um, He's had the same manager and he's had the same hitting coach through much of this. And so I don't know what, how they can fix him. Um, and the downside of it is obviously he, his offense is unacceptable at this level, his defense, but his defense is much better in the curious part about this. And we're talking about knowing when to pull the trigger with a trade is now you look at the finances down the road, right? And it used to be, you have to pay Robles and or Soto in the same year. And you have Trey Turner in front of them. Well, now that that calculus has changed completely, right? Because you're not going to give Victor Rob- this version of Victor Robles $175 million or whatever it may have ended up being if he even just stayed the same um, as he was in 19. And, and you saw, you know, some improvement here and there. And he remained a elite defender who you know, maybe he turns into like Mike Cameron and he can hit 25 homers a year and, um, you know, be a gold glove finalist or winner all the time. And, you know, you have a legit player there, but right now I don't know that they know what to do with him other than give him a break and tell him to watch other folks um, and go do some work in the cage. Yeah. He's really, he's kind of a conundrum. You just, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, there's no easy explanation that unless there's an injury that, they haven't made public. I don't, it's just sort of unfathomable why he has regressed to the point he has, as you said, he used to hit for a decent amount of power and he's certainly not doing that now. And, you know, to bring this back to the trade deadline a little bit, do you think he's, you mentioned in your list of people who weren't going anywhere, you mentioned Robles, is he somebody you think might be somebody, another team might think they can fix. I mean, he's got, he's obviously a plus defender. Right. Um, Is he, is he attempting trade piece for anyone at this point if it's not a big price i think other yeah i think other teams would be interested but i think he's so low cost to the nationals that with his defense if his defense was 2020 defense and he was hitting like this then they would be viewing different things but we've seen his defense come back to where it should be and where it should remain um and probably the nationals can argue that to themselves, well, maybe 2019 is about as good as he's going to be offensively. 2021 is about as bad as he's going to be offensively. So if we get an elite defender with something in between there and we're just paying him arbitration money, like that's kind of a smart roster build, right? Um, You're not centering anything around him, but he's just 
a really good defender, a guy who in theory should help you win in multiple ways, including the base pass, which he hasn't done very well on either. Um, whether it's stealing <laughs> bases or making decisions <laughs> out there. Yeah. That was an understatement, Todd. <laughs> right. Um, I like to choose my words carefully. Uh, yes. Yeah, he's I just mean, such a it's such a disappointment given that he was such a highly touted, you know, five tool prospect and just right. you know, a, an elite defender who's not great offensively is, you know, not something to turn your nose up at, you know, that's something that is useful on a team, but it's just not what we expected we were getting with the No, game. not at all. And I, I think the thing like I said, I think the thing that's rescuing him right now is the price point. Um, um you you can look at like if you're gonna pay X you know, where he is in arbitration, say you went in free agency and you're like, How, what war could we get for this amount of money? I think you would be kind of pleased if you got like a one war player for that amount of money in, in free agency, right? Instead, you have that player under team control still. So um, that to me is somebody that you keep, even if they're been atrocious at the plate this season. Yeah, I mean, Victor Robles to me is kind of panning out how Jackie Bradley Jr. did struggles offensively, very good defensively. And there is a, you know, a roster spot for that on every single team. And it's not very sure. expensive either. Um, one other thing that I believe the Nats were kind of pinning on to decide what they do at the deadline was Steven Strasburg. It was reported um, yesterday that he felt some uncomfort after he threw his bullpen session. Yeah. The Nats don't really know what the next step is for him. Do you think we see... Steven Strasburg at all this season, or are they just going to go to another specialist, figure out what's going on and just wait them out until everything is okay. And there's no more pain at all. Yeah. I think um, August 1st, we're going to know the answer to that. Right. And if they move a bunch of guys and why in the world would you have Steven Strasburg throw another pitch this year? Um, and they were doing that last year where he was, he kept trying and he was, um, doing it didn't make sense to me when they kept pushing it and trying to figure out and then and then finally they shut him down and he had the surgery so I, I think not at all to suggest that he's having surgery this year we don't know that no one has said that they're obviously confused about what's going on and and trying to figure that out um but the idea of him throwing another pitch just to throw another pitch in a major league game after you sell uh makes no sense uh, to me on any level, um, you're especially, I mean, your return on investment currently with his existing contract is super low anyway, and forcing him out there for five starts at the end of this year, um, when the season's ostensibly over, you're just playing out the string and, and risking something else happening to him, um, makes no sense and may even worsen your already putrid ROI uh, on his current deal. So I'd be surprised if we see him on the mound again this year. Agree. I, uh, we've, been, we've talked about that on the last couple of episodes of the podcast too. That I can't, especially now that it seems increasingly likely that they're, they might be sellers at the deadline. There'd be just no reason to, although it's, you know, if, if he's not back to hundred percent by the beginning of next season, I think you, <laughs> that contract is, yeah, yeah, what is there to say? That contract part. is a novel tross. How does uh, but speaking of feel injuries, about that contract, Amanda? How do I feel about it? I, you how know, does at your the time, feel about it, yeah. Yeah, I, 
doesn't feel good at the time they did it um you know it was the post high of the world series and you you couldn't let him walk you know they were kind of between a rock and a hard place you couldn't let him walk you had to keep him but um you know in retrospect even at the time it felt like a bit of an overpay just because he's got such an injury history but now you know a couple seasons on i mean were we ever going to see a truly healthy steven strasberg again I, i mean i hope so but he's not getting any younger and these injuries keep piling up. And what has he been in is it three games since he signed that contract? And 26 innings. Start? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, so you want to talk about ROI. That ain't good. Right. <laughs> I yeah. did not like the contract from the moment it happened. I just thought analytically speaking, Strauss didn't have many years left and I understood why they did it, but all the analytics point, it was a bad contract. So I just hope we can get another healthy season out of him soon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's been super interesting because this organization has basically done well to get away with avoiding the huge starter contracts that flop, right? They And they got a little lucky because, like, Jordan Zimmerman told them no. They offered him a big deal, but he didn't take it and took something in Detroit that was very, very similar to what the Nationals offered um, and then became a major problem for everyone. Um, so this may be kind of where their luck runs out in that department. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, 26 and two thirds innings. If they shut them down this year, it'll be 26 and two thirds innings for $70 million so far. Yikes. Yeah. That's, that's, that's hard to hear when you, when you lay it out like that. (laughs) Well, speaking of injuries and um, timelines for return, are you hearing anything out of the organization about Schwarber? I mean, I've I've seen some reports that he's working out in the outfield or he's doing some running but what are, what are you hearing? What do you anticipate for a timeline of his return? Yeah, I think he's getting closer. And I think, again, um, the next week is going to really help determine his pace, right? Um, there's no reason not to slow play him if you're a seller. Um, and, I, and I really think that, the, you know, it's probably a couple of weeks for him. Um, they wish he could probably DH, <laughs> but they have to be sure they're sure they're sure. Uh, with the hamstrings are lingering and tough. Yeah. And even when you feel good, um, you know, that doesn't mean you can play. If you're walking around pain-free, that doesn't mean you're, you're ready to make a hard turn at first base. Um, so I, I would expect them to be ultra conservative with him. There, there's no reason not to. Um, and I would also expect them in the off season, if not beforehand to agree to that mutual option and, and move forward. And we'll see him again in left field next year. I, I would be very surprised if they moved on from him. Yeah, me too. I don't think he's a, I, I think there might be some teams interested in him, even given the injury, since he's not far off from a return, but I don't think. The, yeah. I think the that. only wrinkle is, does he think he, he can garner some mark, some market value that that's better than the single year he has um, next year here. Uh, he obviously seems to like it very much here um, and has fit in quickly and well, but he could make an argument and, and say that he doesn't, you know, he wants two or three years from someone else or even it's a mutual option. Let's rework this. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a mutual option right after the year yep. so that he can, yep. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well um, I guess just to wrap this discussion up, do you, what are your overall expectations at this point? Do you think selling is a foregone conclusion or is there anything like if they win out for the rest of the week, do you think the Strauss news is just enough that they're going to be sellers no matter what, and we're going to see maybe Max, but more likely at least some of the the smaller pieces we talked about, Hudson yeah. and, Hand and maybe Harrison. 
Yeah, I think selling is the most likely situation at this point. Um, I don't, but I just don't see it being a massive sell of, you know, that we'll go back to that phrase that anyone not named Juan Soto is available. You know, again, that would include Trey to me. And that doesn't, I, I, I just don't see that. You better back all. up the Brinks truck and have it full of prospects if you're. Yeah, right. I mean, like what, <laughs> what is, yes. What is an acceptable return right now for Trey Turner, especially for this organization? Like I talk about this all the time. Like we talk about players in a vacuum, right? Like where they rank in, in the major leagues or what their overall value is or who's the best, but different players have different values in different spots. And here, if you get rid of Trey Turner, who is playing shortstop? Is it, you think Garcia can play every day? Or do you want Garcia, super cheap Garcia playing second base starting next year next to Trey? And that's what you have up the middle for a couple of years before you possibly are going to pay Trey. So um, to me, he's just such a huge part of what's going on right now that there's basically 0% chance that you're going to move him unless, yeah, somebody gives you like three of the top <laughs> prospects. Um, yeah, it would have to be, money. It would have to be a King's ransom. Yeah. It makes you dinner and on and off. So, <laughs> yeah. does your laundry for a month. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever <laughs> needs to be, to be done. Gage <laughs> Rizzo's head for the next two years. Um, yeah, so I don't I don't foresee that, but I, I I really do see the reliever the hand Hudson as I keep repeating, um, and and quite possibly Gomes and certainly Josh Harrison, like those guys I see those guys getting moved in the next week. Yeah, it's- Max, I'm still I'm still hedging toward a no. Um, we're gonna hear a ton about him. Um, I don't know, and, and I hate to say this, this isn't based on reporting. It's just been based on being around him the last seven years uh just like my gut feels like he's not interested um in in doing that and wants to play out things here and then he'll figure out his contract status after that i will say the Nationals should have done something in spring with him um but maybe they didn't because they wanted to be, have the flexibility now yeah it's it's gonna be a very very interesting week for nationals and one that kind of edges them to their direction for the future. But my last question for you, I always like to end on a more fun one. What is your mm-hmm. one bold prediction for the trade deadline? <laughs> oh, this is a fun one. Um, yeah, that's a super wide open one. <laughs> <laughs> or I can, I would say, who's the biggest name that gets moved? Yeah, well, like the Nelson Cruz move was surprising to me. Um, yeah, especially the Rays. Yeah. Didn't they score yeah. 10 runs of the first time with him in the lineup? You're like, oh. Yeah. I mean, what a perfect move for them, too. Jeez. Um, that their DHs were 13th in the American League, I think, in OPS before they got Nelson Cruz. And now they have Nelson Cruz. Um, <laughs> that, that's better. Um, hmm. I think. I don't know. I want to be lame and just stick with Max Scherzer is not going to be traded. I want to go the opposite that's way. That's your bold prediction. Well, that's I, pretty I bold because everybody now. else seems to be saying he will. So I yeah. think that counts as a bold prediction. I think I'm, yes, I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit on that. Um, and I wouldn't, you know, and maybe the Dodgers do something interesting too. Um, uh, that wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah. So they're never fair. shy to spend money or prospects. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. for certain. Yeah. yeah I mean, double down. I think a lot of people listen to this are, 
hoping that Max doesn't get traded. I know how fans think about him here, but Todd, once again, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. It's always a great time. You guys can give him a follow on Twitter at Todd underscore Dibus and make sure you guys check out inside the clubhouse Todd's newsletter on everything Nats. Thanks so much, Todd. Thank Thanks, you. Todd. You do. Uh, enjoy you the soon. next week. Yeah. Take care. <laughs> Thank you. you too. Once again, thank you so much to Todd for coming on. Make sure you guys subscribe to In the Clubhouse and keep up with everything Todd is doing in his newsletter. Once again, Todd, thank you so much for coming on. Absolute pleasure talking to him. Yes, it always is. And that interview and all our interviews are sponsored by Manscaped. And uh, tonight, I'm going to talk to the lady heaters out there. Uh, Manscaped has all the products you need for any gift giving occasion for all the men in your life. You got birthdays, anniversaries, holidays of all sorts. It is never a bad time to give the gift of good hygiene and grooming. And you get to give them a fantastic gift and you get the gift of a nice smelling and well-groomed man. So Manscaped has every type of product that your favorite fellas could possibly need. They've got the lawnmower, fourth generation, the 4.0, which is a fantastic trimmer. They've got the weed whacker, which is for the ear and nose hair. They've got the crop preserver, which is an anti-chafing deodorant. Um, The crop reviver, which is a spray toner. You've got all kinds of other things. And you can get all of those items plus two free gifts if you go for the performance package, the fourth generation performance package 4.0. So do yourself and your favorite men a huge favor and get them all set up with Manscaped, the worldwide leader in men's grooming. That's great advice. Great advice. All right. To kind of put a bow on what we've been talking about uh, for the majority of the episode, when, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, the Nats have been contenders for 10 years, the better part of 10 years now. And I think we're all in agreement, but just to kind of put our flag in in a certain uh, stance, is it time to reset? Is the, the window closed? Yes. I thought that was very a burp much at so. first. So very yes. <laughs> yes. That would have been a perfect answer. A burp would have been the right response. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the Nats had a fantastic 10 years. There was a lot of ups. There was a lot of downs. Thank God they won in 2019. But yes, it is time to reset. What the Nats did for the 10 years is fantastic. You can't expect teams to continue to be competitive much longer than that. It is time. This team is very old. This team does not have much major league ready depth. They do not have much of a farm system. And as I said, they're very old and they have two of the worst contracts in baseball. Unfortunately for them, those are some big, big contracts. It's time to reset. This team has to get younger. This team has to restock the farm system and loading off these guys and saying, hey, you know what, we're going to build around Juan Soto is going to be one of the best decisions this franchise can actually ever make. Yeah, it's going to be painful, but it is time. Um, You know, contending for 10 years is so fun. It's great. It's always more fun when your team is relevant at the end of the season and they're in a playoff push. It's always more fun as a fan. However, you cannot contend every year and never rebuild. There's a reason why they say, okay, they're going to go all in and they're going to sell off all their best prospects to get the guys they need to win a World Series. Teams do that all the time. But then afterwards, you have to accept the fact that the cupboard is bare and you have to restock it at some point. I actually think they've probably gone a bit beyond where they should have. 
And uh, we should, as hard as it's going to be as a fan to watch the team go into a rebuild, it it's going to be better for the team in the long run. And we all just need to appreciate that we've had these 10 straight years to be able to appreciate as bad as the team was when they first got to DC and we all lived through that, you know, that era in the, in the team's history, it's not going to be that bad, but you have to be bad for a while if you're going to be good again. And that's a hard pill to swallow, but it's time to take our medicine. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I think for me, it's, I want the Nats to be good. I Obviously it's more fun. Like you guys said to have your team in contention at the end of the year and in playoff games. And obviously that's what we want, but that's not realistic. If that was every team would do it. The Nats sold out to win a world series and they won one and not every team gets to do that either. A lot of teams sell out and they don't get anything to show for it. Uh, besides bad contracts and a lot of regret and a lot of turnover. And the Nats have had some turnover, but they have they always have the World Series to hang their hat on. And for fans, I'm not going to say that the World Series was a bad thing. That That's just absurd. But the World Series really clouded their judgment as far as what this team currently can do. Obviously, everyone knows how 2019 started, but the, the 2019 story, while great, is just not a recipe for success. They had everything go right for a large majority of the season, and obviously the playoffs as well. They had two stu- superstar guys in Soto and Rendon. They had great high-level – they had a budding superstar in Trey Turner. They had high-level role players like Howie Kendrick and obviously the big three in the rotation. None and of that's Sanchez. going right. Don't forget about Anibal Sanchez. Right, and Sanchez is just yeah. playing uh, out of his mind. So it's like, okay, you know ha- – we have a lot of those same guys. So why is it not happening? Those guys are two years older. The, the chemistry might not be there. The the ability might not be there anymore, but for fans, you just have to realize that a, a, not every team always comes back, right? That that's just how sports goes. Your right. team doesn't always come back and that's fine. That's the way sports go. But if you want your team to eventually come back or come back soon, you, you sometimes need to do stuff like this and it's not fun, but you got to think of the result. Keep your eye on the big picture. And that that's one thing Nats fans are struggling with that. They think the big picture is contending and going for a world series. It, it is, but they're losing sight on how you realistically get there. And that's kind of my big takeaway from this is that it's been 10 years. They sold out to win the world series. They did. And from here on out, it's like, all right, now it's just a matter of doing what you got to do to do it again. And it, maybe not this year, certainly not this year after getting swept by the O's, but it is what it is. It's not fun, but, but it is what it happens. is. It's the way it goes. All right. So let's just get into our one big thing and wrap up. You guys got, got anything before we get out of here? Oh, oh, mine's the Olympics, which I love so much every amanda every, and talking sorry. about literally anything besides baseball it doesn't for have to be baseball thing. it's a big thing we just talked about baseball for an hour people are interested in other things too. i'm gonna change the one baseball big thing one big <laughs> baseball thing well anyway the olympics are awesome the gymnastics is my favorite and tuesday night is the uh the gymnastics final so super looking forward to that but make sure you're watching um it's really a super weird olympics with no fans there and obviously all the covid restrictions but it's still super fun to watch team usa so do that 
I have never once in my life ever noticed the fans at the Olympics. And I keep <laughs> seeing people complain about it. I'm like, literally, this is nothing different from what I've ever noticed. Never noticed. That's awesome. um, my <laughs> one big thing is it's trade season. It's the best time of the year. And be on the lookout for the fake Twitter accounts. There's a lot of them. Oh, and God, they're, yeah. they're really they're fun. They're absolutely <laughs> they're fantastic. Not, no, they suck. They're the worst. Ah, it's just it's just pure entertainment. And yeah, I'm excited. Trade season's fun. That being said, like they're annoying, but whenever they get you, whenever you fall for it, you you just gotta tip your cap. You're like, you damn. Do. You just have to chuckle. Damn. It's like I got got. Uh my one big thing is we talked about it a little bit off the top, but we officially signed with fansided to be, you know, the um distributor, I guess, for this podcast. Obviously. Uh, a lot of you guys have been with us from the start or close to the start. And this was an independent podcast and we didn't really know what we were doing and we wanted to keep doing it. And we've done it to the best of our abilities. It's something we take seriously. Um, but this is a big deal for us. And it kind of shows that what we've been doing matters. And maybe <laughs> that's kind of uh, putting it a, a little too, um, I don't know the words escaping me, but you know, people like what we do. And, and that means a lot to us is what I'm trying to say. And, you know, maybe it's not the most fun to talk about the Nats potentially rebuilding or struggling. Obviously that's not what we want, but we have a lot of ideas and, um, you know, kind of hopes for the future about what we're going to do with this podcast and with the show. And obviously partnering with fansided and district on deck is going to help facilitate that. So we're extremely grateful to them for giving us opportunities, but also to you guys, because we wouldn't have a show without you guys. If nobody listened, I mean, we're all happy talking baseball, just the three of us and uh, no one else listening. But obviously it means a little bit more when we have you guys, our, our loyal heaters supporting us like you have for three seasons now. And whatever happens with the Nats in the future, we're going to keep doing the show and hopefully keep you guys engaged and entertained and, uh, you know, excited for the future. So thank you to you guys. You guys deserve all the credit in the world. Um, and we hope to have some sort of uh, happiness from the future, regardless of what the Nats do at the deadline. Yes. And if we have to suffer through a rebuild, at least we can all do it together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all, we're all in this together. And that, but you guys don't remember. And obviously, we just talked about how the Nats have been successful for the better part of ten years. But Toxic Shack during a rebuild is is fun stuff. We pure it, entertainment. It's pure, like you get toxic shack now and you're like, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm an optimistic person, you know, shack's cancerous, blah, 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 blah. But when we go through a rebuild, you accept what's going on. So you get to enjoy toxic shack mm -hmm. and that's going to be a real treat for you guys. And, and I'm excited for, for those that may have been opposed to toxic shack and, uh, you know, the, the reality he brings to the table. Now you, you get to see it from our side and why toxic shack is a necessary evil. Yeah. And if you enjoy acerbic sarcasm, toxic shack is going to be the one for you. Yeah. <laughs> My memes did really, really well today. And I got like 50 new followers. So I think people are starting to like understand it. I, my finest tweet today was after they lost the Orioles. I just tweeted the violin scene from the end of Titanic. And that was my finest tweet. <laughs> and people knew. <laughs> I, I, yeah. They're just like, 
I yeah. said nothing, and everyone, everyone, everyone got it. I love that though about this fan base. And maybe it's true of all fan bases. I don't know because I'm not like heavily involved in Twitter and any other fan base. But I love how this this fan base on Twitter is engaged enough where if you're all watching the game, you could just do something like that without comment, and everybody. Yeah, they they know the context. Yeah. You need to start doing that after every loss now. Just tweeting out the Titanic <laughs> video. No context. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, today felt like the day they hit the iceberg though. I got some I got some good ones saved for the deadline. So oh, okay. Oh, Looking forward to that. Can't wait. But obviously we'll have one more episode before the deadline. But who knows? Something might happen between now and then. It seems like the Padres kind of got us kickstarted with a deadline week. It won't be a deadline day anymore. So hopefully we get some big trades going on. We'll get more to talk about on Thursday. You guys got anything else before we go? Nope. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Catch me at Nationals Ace, Amanda at AWhite7877, Ryan at We Are All Shack, the show at Half Street High Heat, Street with ST. Same with the website at halfstreethighheat.com. We appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you guys on Thursday. Later. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls all at the commentator who has the causes past the wall to see you later. Let's go, Nats. We've got a game to play. By the early light of dawn, well, you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go, Nats We've got a game to play We're gonna win today Let's go book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours activities excursions and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from 
Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.